called Be Somebody. And, and really what the, the core of this, this series is about is, is kind of introducing the idea and a new strategy that we're trying to impact our community with and trying to impact your lives with that in hopes that, that after you have been changed to be somebody and be somebody, we, we unpacked this last week, and to be somebody, that means to be like Christ. Everybody say, be like Christ. To be like Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. We want to be somebody. We have to identify who that is. We unpacked that last week. Um, The weeks preceding that, we talked about this idea and the strategy. And Dustin, if you'd go to the next slide, please. This idea of belonging. And I said that that we have to not only have a place of belonging, but we need to, to open up our hearts to other people so that they know that they belong in our life. And that was the first week. And then the week that followed that, then I kind of mentioned what we do as a church and environments that we're trying to create here at the church starting this year, some of which we're continuing through, but new ideas in this church that we're trying to do to help others belong. People that aren't even a part of us yet so that they would feel welcome in this place. And the way that people feel welcome is not simply by saying, hey, come and join our church, but yet we have a church that is designed with you in mind. Our ministries are focused outwardly, not just inwardly. It's, it's easy to be inwardly focused as a church, and we need to train ourselves to look beyond us and not just at us. And I talked about that over the last couple of weeks. This idea of belonging. Last week we talked about becoming and I identified, I said that there's really three different levels of faith. And and this is a stumbling block for some folks. I said from the book of James that some of us have this this intellectual block of faith where we we know the right things and like we even know the concept of God. And and many of us, I shared with a a story um, from a really good friend of mine by the name of Matt. And I said that he, he had all the Bible stuff down. He knew what the tulip was. If you don't know what tulip means as far as with Christendom, it's okay. We'll get to that probably in, in the years to come. But this idea of the tulip, and, and he, he was so stout in, in biblical knowledge, but yet he had not actually embraced the very truth that he was trying to convince everybody about. Everybody with me? Say amen. And I said, not only was it a matter of intellectual faith, where it was just all in his head, all in his head, all in his head, but then I said that I had another recent experience where there was somebody who had the concept of God, the idea of God, and then whenever I presented the gospel to him, he responded emotionally. And from the book of James that we talked about last week, it was a great message. If you missed it, it's on iTunes, it's on the web. And one of the great things that was mentioned from that James text is not only was it an intellectual faith where it's just, it's all about Bible study, all about receiving, all about receiving, all about receiving, and yet and it's more than just emotions because I shared this story from a gentleman that I, I sat on his bedside and, and I, I shared the gospel with him and he understood the concept of God, but he never embraced the truth enough, although he was emotionally charged when the truth was presented. But then, intellectual, emotional faith, but then that's not the faith that saves. The faith that saves is, this, is the faith that Jesus Christ, who he is, and in the resurrection, and believing exactly what he did, believing in the idea of the gospel, not as just something that we put up a verse, a John 3, 16 verse, or that we have a, a simple plan of salvation, but that it's deeper than that. That the gospel has impacted us not to make a one-time decision, but to make a lifetime with making decisions from the gospel. That's a saving faith. That it's not just a one-time event. It's not just a, it's a conversion. It's a process that, that we are converted to, to being like Christ, but then we live our life to be set apart to be more like Him. But it takes more than intellectual know-how, and it takes more than being moved emotionally. Now this morning, we get into the second week of um, the become portion of this. We have four weeks left in this series. Everybody's happy about that, right? Only four weeks, we're moving on to something else. We have four weeks left. We have two more weeks of become. We could spend, I mentioned this last week, we could spend 20 years talking about how to become like Christ, and that's largely what we do when we come into settings like this, is I try and teach you 
in, in, even in a, in a monologue sense, and I present truth to you in hopes that, and, and I give you application to the scripture that I present in hopes that you will leave this place and apply it to your life. So we're going to talk about this idea for this week and the next two weeks of becoming, and then we're going to have one week in beyond and then one week in begin. And then it'll be right in time, around the time of Easter. So, um, to get us started this morning, I just want to have a little confessional time. Is that okay? I just want to, I just want to confess something before you. Um, not a lot of people know this, but um, when I was a child, I had a really good friend. His name was Robert. What was his name? You're listening. Awesome. So his name was Robert. We had, it was, we had a, a lot of, of great times, and the thing about Robert was, it's like he was my pal, he was my buddy. I mean, he, he was with me no matter what I was doing. If I was getting into trouble, he was right in the midst of it with me. And I remember distinctly that um, I'm from the Midwest and it rains, or excuse me, it snows, it rains too. But, but it snows a lot during the winter, at least it did when I was a kid. And I, I remember distinctly that we lived on Clay Street. It was a brick street, and there was a funeral home across the street that my father worked at. And I remember that when they would plow the road, that they would come through and plow it, and it would leave these big, like, snow drifts right in our front yard, which was awesome for what I'm about to tell you. That Robert and I used to sit behind these snow drifts, and then we would pack snowballs behind these snow drifts, and then when a car would come by, and they'd have it to come by slow, it's a brick road and bad weather, and as the car would come by on a brick road, we would sit behind the snow drift, and then we would time with snowballs as we would chunk them out at the car that was passing by, and if we were good relative term if we were good and we would throw these snowballs at the car that we could pick the car off as it was driving down the road. I'm not bragging about what I did. That's not right. That's not good. My point is this. Robert was right with me. He was right with me. He was my buddy. And a buddy is somebody like this. Let me illustrate it a little bit different. A buddy is someone who is with you so close that your buddy will be with you right when you're in the midst of trouble. He'll be, he, be, he will be right with you. He doesn't care that it's trouble. He's just saying, man, this is a good time. And we're having a good time together. You're my buddy. You're my pal. Let's do this thing together. It's going to be a blast. And I've got to be honest with you, as a kid, it was a lot of fun. It really was. You're just wishing you had some snow, aren't you? It's like, that's a good idea. That's a bad idea. But I remember distinctly as we would chunk these snowballs out of these cars and he would, he'd be right there and we would laugh like kids do and not really thinking through these types of things. But you know what? Some of us have people like this in our life where they sit so close to us and yet all they do is they have fun with us but they never challenge us. They have fun with us and they say, man, let's go do this. Let's go have this event together. Let's go have this time together. Let's be all social. Let's do all these things. We're going to have a great time together. But you never are challenged by them. You never are compelled to live differently because of them. I'll tell it to you like this. Um, a buddy is someone who will, like say for instance that, that you are, are, are about to get yourself into some trouble. A buddy is so close to you that you like run and you get into trouble and that you would fall in the pit together. That you would fall in the pit together, and while you're in the pit, your buddy would look at you and say, man, that was a blast. Can you believe we had so much fun? We're in the pit together. This is great. Look around, man. How are we going to get out? I don't know, but this is fun. And you had so much fun getting there, right? You tracking with me so far? That's a buddy. He's somebody so close to you. Don't care what's going on. It's not going to challenge you to be a better person. It's not going to challenge you to become like Christ. It's just somebody who's going to be there for the good time. But then, different level. We have friends, right? Anybody have a friend in here? We have a friend. We have two people with friends. <laughs> Did everybody see the two people with friends? They, they need you right now. We have people who, we have people that we call friends. Now here's something different about a, a buddy and a friend. A buddy will be with you, not challenge you to become more like Christ a lot of times. And a buddy's just with you for the good time. But a friend is a little bit different. It's a different level. Not the final level, but it's a different level. A friend is somebody who says... 
after you've fallen in the pit, he says, man, you fell in the pit. He says, wow. And he looks down at you and he says, dude, you're in the pit. He reaches down. And a friend's different. You see, a buddy's in the pit with you, but a friend pulls the buddy out of the pit. And he says, man, what'd the pit look like? He's like, well, it was kind of dark. It was dirt, you know. It's like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. But, but he would talk about that experience and he'd say, man, you were in the pit. I'm glad I'm out of the pit. What are we going to go do next? I believe the scripture is true. In, in, in Proverbs 17, 17, it says that a friend sticks closer to a brother than a brother was born for adversity. I believe that because if, if my brother knew that I was in a pit, he'd probably throw mud at me. You know, and if you have brothers or sisters, you, you understand how that works. But, but that's different than a buddy. But that's different than the topic of today's talk. You see, a friend, would, a friend will help you out. That's a good friend will help you out. And a friend will want to share that experience and, and want to be empathetic towards you and be sympathetic to your needs and, wow, let's, let's do this and, and encourage you. And that's great and that's wonderful. We all need friends. But the idea that we're talking about today is the idea of fellowship. Now, fellowship in that sense is a little bit different. Track with me if you would, please. Fellowship's a little bit different. Fellowship is, is deeper than a buddy. It's deeper than a friend. Fellowship is saying, wow, you're in the pit. And a, somebody who you have fellowship with, and I'll give you a definition of this in a minute, but somebody you have fellowship with not only picks you up out of the pit, but listen to this, but somebody with fellowship says, do you know how you got in the pit? And, and, and somebody with deep fellowship will say, you know what? You were in the pit, and I wanted to help you out, but I don't want you to go in there again. So I want to encourage you to recognize the steps. Listen to me. Encur- I want to encourage you to recognize the steps that got you in the pit in the first place. You see, a buddy's there with you. A buddy can't do anything for you. A friend will help you out and encourage you, but somebody with fellowship, I'm going to give, there's, there's three principles that kind of back this whole idea up that's going to be coming soon. But somebody with deep fellowship not only pulls you out of the pit, but encourages you and also, listen to me, equips you. And equips you to recognize what the pit looks like because everybody has a different pit. Everybody has tendencies to sin in different areas. Satan knows you better than you know you. And somebody who you have deep fellowship with will recognize that and say, you know what, I understand your tendency and your propensity to sin in this area. And if you have a tendency to sin in this area, a good person you have fellowship with, a fellowship with, not just friendship and not a buddy, but fellowship with says, I know that you're in the pit and I love you so much that I want to even admonish and sometimes even scold you so you recognize what the pit is, the pit that you fall into, because I don't want you to be there again. And they'll show you the steps to avoid the pit in the first place. One of the ways that, that really the church kind of, the church, remember like we talked about a few weeks ago, the church is not an institution, the church is a what? A movement. The church is a movement. It's about people so radically changed by the name of Christ and, and, and by the resurrection of Christ that they were so charged spiritually that it just, it worked out practically in their life and their whole life was transformed by this belief that Jesus, not only did He resurrect, but, but that He was coming again. And that they were so charged and they were changing their life in regards to what they believed. They were changing their life in regards to what they believed. Because they were waiting for, for Jesus to come back and to rescue them. Because they knew that, the, that Jesus' work was not complete. And it's still not complete, is it church? He's still going to take us home. The first thing I, I would like to just kind of throw out to you is just this, this loose definition. I've got a couple lists today, so if you're a list person, this is going to be amazing for you. If you're not a list person, you're going to have to bear it, okay? But the, the definition, the working definition of fellowship that I, I would like to give this morning is a communion of believers in a common bond of their faith. It's not on the screen. You've got to listen for this one. Fellowship is a communion of believers in the common bond of their faith. It's the communion of believers in the common bond of their faith. 
Now, can you have fellowship with someone who is not a believer of Jesus Christ? By that definition. Not true fellowship. You can have friendship, but you can't have true fellowship. Now, from that definition, there's the first point, and this is going to be 1 John 1, 3. The fellowship is a common relationship. Fellowship is a common relationship. Everybody say that with me. Fellowship is a common relationship. It's a common relationship. There's, there's elements to this relationship which are vitally important. And we'll get to those after we share the scripture. 1 John 1, 3 says, We proclaim to you that we ha- what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have what? Fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. There's two elements of, of fellowship here. The first one I want to unpack, and you see it on the screen, is the idea of fellowship vertically. We cannot have fellowship horizontally with other people unless we're in fellowship vertically with the Lord Jesus. Everybody say amen to that. Because we have to have, we have, to have this relationship, this common bond of the faith vertically before we can have it horizontally. If we just have horizontally, and, and if we have something horizontally but it is broken down vertically, we have fractured fellowship. In this verse it says, we proclaim to you, that John writes... And so it's, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. He says, so that you also may have fellowship with us. This is talking about fellowship with other believers, is what he's talking about here. We'll get to that, the, the horizontal aspect, in just a minute. But I just wanted you to note, that's what that is. And he says, and our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. The only reason we can have this, this fellowship that John speaks of is because Jesus has so radically changed us when we received Him because His work that happened on the cross and through the resurrection that we celebrate on Easter Sunday. And every Sunday. That's why we're here, isn't it? Because the church was a movement, because, not because it, it was some institution or it was some exclusivity, uh, this experience where we were supposed to exclude people into. It was that everybody was welcome. Everybody would feel like they belong so that everybody would have an opportunity to become more like Him. So this idea of fellowship, he says... And and it's kind of an invitation, he says, and our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. He's saying it's so much more compelling, it's more compelling than you, it's more more compelling than me. He says, this fellowship is with the God and the Creator of the universe. It's not just some place we come and hang out. This is not some social event. He says, this is, this is something that we're wrapping all of our belief around this thing, this thing called the Gospel. That Jesus has set us free and that we believe that He wants to set other people free. Because other people are in bondage. Other people are in the pit and they don't even know it. And He says, He says, so that you may have fellowship with us. This fellowship with us. It's not on the screen, but 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is Faithful. Let that sink in. He's faithful. There's this this theological word that's kind of used um, specifically in the New Testament, the idea of predestination and and God choosing and God calling and and all of those things. It means kind of that that God has has chosen those who would receive Him. There's a lot of things that that can be complicated within that. I'm not going to unpack all that truth today. But one thing I think is incredible about that, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've had a moment where you received Christ and you knew you were changed by the commitment that you made to Him, then you have fellowship with Him, or at least... You were supposed to have fellowship with Him. And that, that the scripture that I just read, that God who has called you follower of Jesus, and you followers of Jesus, and you followers of Jesus, that He's called you into this fellowship. And He says, you know what? God is faithful. And, and the compelling thing there that I want to unpack is, are you being faithful toward your fellowship to Him? What is your time with Him like vertically? How much time do you spend in prayer yourself? 
If the only time you pray is when we come together on Sunday morning and we pray together at the, at the beginning and ending of the service, you have broken fellowship with the Lord. I'm not saying that you're not saved and that's not the implications that I'm trying to unpack. And I don't believe that to be true. But what I'm saying is you're not becoming the person that he wants you to be right now if you're out of fellowship with him. And so this, this idea of, of we can break fellowship vertically with God. And one of the implications that you'll see in this, and I, I think that was consistent with the scripture that I just shared in 1 John 1, 3, also will be seen in Acts 2.42. This will be on the screen. And this is a scripture that I shared a couple weeks ago. I, I've been trying to and intentionally going back to this scripture because this is the basis of the early church. This is kind of why we do what we do. And we figure that they got it right in Acts 2 and the Lord and the day of Pentecost. And we talked about all that. And God unleashed all these wonderful signs and, and miracles and gifts upon people. We believe that God still does that today. And we believe that this is still true today. And, and the scripture says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The idea of fellowship is koinonia is the Greek word for that. It's the idea of, of having fellowship. But look what the people, look what the early church did. They devoted themselves to the what? To the apostles' teaching. This would be similar to this setting right here. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. Somebody who had been an appointed teacher over them and was imparting wisdom and truth to them. So they, they, they met in places, and this is kind of like some of their conversations were, more like monologues. But then also, even deeper than that, it says, and to the fellowship. Now this would, the fellowship would be not just in that setting, not just at a 1030 setting for coffee and community, and, and we come in here, and, and that's, it's beyond this community, that they would have this community not in rows, but in circles. That they would do life together, not in rows, not like this, not with this, this structure of what... Uh, what our gathering looks like, but more in circles. And as they would get together, they would share certain things together. Look at that scripture. It says, and to the fellowship. We've kind of talked about fellowship. So we have, we, we've discussed the vertical aspect. This is the horizontal aspect of it. And look what, look what, did they, look what this church did. And I think there's something compelling here that maybe we should do. If you look at that scripture, it says, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is not talking, this reference is not talking about eating in homes in this text. Now, it does kind of allude to that later on in this text. This is talking about literally they were partaking of the Lord's Supper that, that we did recently. They were partaking of the Lord's Supper together because they knew that their fellowship had to be deeper than a social circle. Their fellowship had to be deeper than just the, just the, the activities that they kind of gathered around and they had fun around. They wanted to bring the gospel, the breaking of the bread, the bringing everything back to Jesus, His broken body, the blood that was poured out for them. They wanted to bring their whole fellowship back to Jesus. Back to the gospel. They wanted to bring everything back to the gospel. So really, the, the aspect of, the, of fellowship vertically, that it's a common relationship, that is true vertically, but it's also horizontally. Let me ask you a question in that regards. What's your fellowship like horizontally? What's your, what's your fellowship like horizontally? The size of church that we have right now, there's no reason, no reason why you shouldn't know everyone that's in here, to be honest with you, and that you shouldn't know some things about their life. There's no good reason. No good reason why you, why you shouldn't. What's your, what's your fellowship like? Because I think one of, one of the challenges that, I, and you know what, I'm not the absolute best in this. I think everybody at some point or another has the tendency to kind of go back in their shell. But one thing that I found is if my fellowship vertically is broken, my fellowship horizontally is absolutely going to be broken. Now sometimes how this plays out in our house, and this is, Marla and I challenge, um, we challenge our, ourselves and we should. I mean, that's the... That's one of the great gifts of marriage and giving grace and forgiveness in a marriage. But, but if, I, if I'm off kilter, this is how it looks in my house. If I'm off kilter, 
more than likely it's going to rear itself with our relationship because that's the closest relationship that I have with anyone on this planet or that I ever will, and God intended it that way. But also, if, if something is, is wrong as far as horizontally with our relationship, one of the things that she challenges me with, and she knows in the back of her mind is, I wonder what his fellowship is like vertically. I wonder what his prayer life is like. I wonder what his devotional life is like. I wonder if he's stressed out right now and that he can't focus on, on his personal relationship, but he's consumed with maybe even the work of the church and all the great things that the church provides. See, but it's, it's not just a relationship. It is the fellowship that I've, I, I have invited her in, and she has done the same, to invite ourselves into our relationship in such a way where we can speak the truth in love, as Scripture says, where we can challenge each other. And if if something is broken horizontally, there should be an indicator. Church, listen to me, please. There, if, if you see one of us within our body or people that you know or at least claim to be Christians, and if they don't have fellowship horizontally, you should lead, it should lead you to believe that there may very well be, not being judgmental, this is not, this is not being judgmental, But that should lead you to question, I wonder what the relationship with Jesus is like today. Starts vertical, works out horizontal. What is the quality of your your fellowship? What does that look like today? From just, from the definition. I mean, who is it that, that you pour your life into? Who is it that you have allowed them to speak truth into your life? Who is that? If, if you have not allowed anyone to kind of challenge you in areas and to try and bring out the best in you, I'll tell you, you're being robbed and so are they. Because one of the best things about fellowship is not just somebody pulling us out of the pit, but somebody that would care about us enough and love us enough to recognize the pit that we, that we have a tendency to fall into, but to pull us out and to help us to see the signs that got us there to begin with. But they have to be close to do that. Second thing on our... Uh, kind of a takeaway from this morning, not that just fellowship is just a common relationship, but fellowship is a relationship built with communication on a spiritual level. Not the weather. Not sports. I'll be honest with you, if you live in Georgia, sports-wise, you don't have much to talk about anyway. Right? That's nice. That was a good one. I was laughing louder on the inside than it was on the outside, trust me. But it's true. I mean, we have nothing. We have we have nothing to be so consumed about whether weather, sports, politics, whatever the case may be. How this primary is going to work out? How that primary is going to work out? Well, I hope such and such does this, and I hope such and such does that. Well, I hope he doesn't stay here any longer. I hope we have somebody else. The idea, you know, what all of those things are going to pass away, and none of that is lasting. Fellowship should be a challenge for us. A challenge that because it's a relationship built with communication on a spiritual level. Not the weather. Because the, as the weather changes here in Georgia, which is like every day, right? Yeah, we could sit and talk about the weather and be like, man, the weather is just, it's, it's cold today. You know what? It is cold today. Chances are, this time tomorrow, it's going to be cold also. You know? Like, what are you going to talk about then? Fellowship is communication built on the, uh, with conversation on a spiritual level. Scripture for that that I would like to kind of bring out is 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Before I read that scripture, I want to share verse 11. Same book, same chapter. This is what Scripture says. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you're doing. It says... Encourage one another and build each other up. Encourage and build one another up. Now we'll go with this this scripture. It says, And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. This is so important for you and I to embrace the implications of this verse. 
It says, warn those who are idle. Warn those who are not doing anything for the gospel. Warn them because they are easy prey. Because those of us who are idle, who have idle hands, are not doing the things and they're not being compelled by the gospel. The church has stopped being a movement in their life. And any time that Satan can convince us that the church is just something, a place that we go to, or just a gathering on Sunday morning, we are being deceived. And we need people who will challenge us and help us and equip us and draw the best out in us. And sometimes we need to be warned that we're idle and saying, you know what? What are you doing for the gospel? 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 Well, I'm not doing anything. Well, I'm, I'm busy. I got this going on. No, 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 no. No, those are not compelling reasons why you're not doing something. You need to be doing something for the gospel. What in this, just to internalize this, just for a moment. Have you ever made a decision in your life based on the gospel? Or do you always make decisions based on you and then just try and put the gospel as a little addendum at the back end of it? When's the last time you made a decision in your life, a big decision, the place where you would live, maybe the place that you would work based off the gospel? Because I think one of the things that the early church did is they said, you know what, we have this fellowship, we could do this, we could meet and we could just sit and talk and we could talk in rows and do all this and we could feed our minds with all this information. But he says, you know what, every time we get together, I want us to be centered around this thing called the gospel. I want to bring everything back to Jesus. Because if we keep Jesus in focus, we will also recognize that there are so many people outside these walls who don't have Jesus. Which makes us not to look internally, but to look externally. We need to warn those who are idle. Ask ourselves, what are we doing for the gospel? Has our life changed because of the gospel? Or is it just an addendum on the back end of what we want to do? Second part of that is encourage the timid. Encourage the timid. I realize that some people have personalities where they, they say, you know what, I'm just, uh, just not really a front, I'm not a, a front row kind of guy. I'm kind of like the back row. Apparently no one's a front row person here this morning. But, you know, I'm not a front row person. I'm more, I'm more a back row person. Uh, that's fine. But we need to encourage them not to be timid. This is not talking about, okay, I have a type A personality or I don't have a type A personality. Every one of us should be compelled by the gospel to share it with others. Everyone. Your personality is a poor excuse. We all should be so compelled that our lives are changed by it, that we're not idle and that we're not timid about it. Because I believe that the message of Jesus is a movement. It's still alive in my heart. I hope that it's, if it wasn't alive in your heart before, that it's, that it's kindled a fire. And now, I'm, every time I go back to this, it just pricks your heart and challenges you to do something with what you hear. We can't be timid. We need to help the weak. We need to help the weak. Instead of pointing out who's weak, we need to, we need to find the people who are weak. This is, this is, you know, in, in the context of Christians. He says, and I urge you brothers to warn those who are idle. Help those who are timid. And he says, and I know, and we need to, there are these people who are weak, and we need to, we need to help the weak, we need to bring people along. This is talking about spiritually weak people. This is spiritually weak people that, that if you're a little bit farther along in your walk, then you need to recognize someone else as maybe who just receives Christ and say, okay, I need to pour into this individual right now. I need to pour into them because they're still weak in their faith. They may be saved, but they're weak in their faith. And they are an empty vessel I need to keep pouring into because the fellowship that I have vertically with Jesus and because I want to have felt this... this Fellowship horizontally with other people. And it's communicate, fellowship is built on communication on a spiritual level. That we're not going to sit and talk about the weather with this person. and not going to talk about sports with this person. But we're going to talk about the gospel. And how they're being shaped and formed and challenged by the gospel. We need to help the weak instead of just pointing out the fact that they're weak. We need to help the weak. We need to be patient with everyone. Because you know what? We're all broken. We're all broken. Every single one of us. We, we, can, we can pretend what we're not, but we're all broken. And we need, because we're all broken people and we gather in this place, that means we need to be patient with everyone. 
We need to be patient. Fellowship, is, I mean, it's such, we have such a craving for fellowship. And it requires us to be patient with everyone. Because not everybody is in the exact same place as you. And by the grace of God, you may be farther along in your walk than someone else. But that isn't something that we just need to, to, to point out their flaws, but we need to be patient with them. And we need to warn them. And we need to challenge them. And we need to pull them out of the pit. And we need to help them recognize what the pit is that they fall into. And we need to help them to recognize the, the things that got them in the pit to begin with. The last thing on from the, the takeaways, but I have more lists, so there's, there's that. But I have... This is, fellowship is a partnership in the work of the gospel. If you would, do me a favor, please go to 3 John 5.8. If you're in 1 John, you don't have far to go. By the way, if you would like to know more on the topic of fellowship, this 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John have incredible insights on on the topic of fellowship all the way through. And as a matter of fact, there's a, a scripture while you're flipping there and at the, uh, a little bit farther along in 1 John 1, the scripture actually teaches that directly that our fellowship with other people is directly impacted by the light that we have because of Christ. It's very compelling. I read it recently. I think it would be good for you to go back and maybe do a follow-up to this talk um, from 1 John 1. But 3 John 5 through 8 says this. By the way, the letter is written to a guy by the name of Gaius. And this, he's a guy who's doing well in the area of fellowship. This is meant to be not a, 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 something where it's disciplining him. John is not disciplining him. He's encouraging him because he says, Man, you are doing really well in this idea of fellowship. And I want to encourage you to keep going. Verse 5 says this. Dear friend, you're faithful in what you're doing for the brothers what you're doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love, and you will, you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It is for the sake of the name. It is for the sake, it is for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. Fellowship is a partnership in the work of the gospel. And this is what John is telling Gaius. He's saying, man, you are doing so well in this. And so much so, he says, I want you to take it to even another level. You're doing well. You're doing good. I want you to take it to another level, church. I want to, we do really well as far as fellowship right here. But I want to invite, as, as the Lord brings us people, and I believe by, by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God that we will fill this place one day. And it's going to require, listen to me, church, it's going to require us to not just pay attention to ourselves, but to have this idea that we are so connected vertically with Christ, in, in such fellowship with Christ, that it would impact us in our horizontal relationships so that we would open up our life to other people. I believe that that's what's going to happen. I want you to believe that with me. But John, he talks to, to Gaius and he says, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers. And literally brothers is, Adolphos is the Greek word and literally means like brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, man, he says, you are so faithful in what you're doing. He's encouraging me. He says, you are doing awesome in this area. You are doing really well. You're doing so well. He says, they have told the church about your love. And this love, it's, it's rooted in the relationship with Christ. He says, this love is just, it's, 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 they crave it and they desire it and you're giving it to Him. He says, you have such deep fellowship with, with the Lord Jesus and it's just, it's impacting other people. He says, so much that they, we have told the church about your love. He says, I, I've been bragging on you. I've been bragging on you. He says, you have this love. It's just, it transcends understanding and experience, and I, I, don't, I don't understand it all. And there's just such, such fellowship that you have. He says, I've, I've been bragging on you. And he says, you would do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. A couple things, if you want to write these down. 
He's saying to send them on their way, to send them on their way. Some ways that we can, that we can help forward other people and help people help send each other on their way sharing the gospel. And just having this idea of fellowship, even with, with believers here, but then believers outside of our walls who may be in your workplace and other areas. Some ways that we do that is just through encouragement. Just like John is doing to Gaius, he says, man, you are doing so well. I'm bragging on you. The church is talking about you. You, you're, you're setting a great example. So he's encouraging them. Encourage other people to take steps. Encourage people to be challenged by the gospel. It's a matter of sharing wisdom. It's for, for you and I, if you're a little bit further along in our walk, we, we need to share our wisdom with other people and not just to covet it ourselves. The Bible knowledge we talked about last week doesn't, it doesn't equate to transformation. Bible information doesn't equate to transformation. But wouldn't it be awesome if the information that you'd received, and that as you're being transformed by it, that you would be transparent with somebody else about the change that Christ is making in your life? It's rooted in fellowship. It says to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It's a matter of encouragement, sharing wisdom. And it's, it's a matter of equipping for the sake of the gospel. It's a matter of equipping them for the sake of the gospel and saying, you know what, here's, I, I know you don't have all the answers. I know that you're broken. But I, and, and see, here's the thing. If you're broken, that means you've got a story to tell. Because you're broken in and of yourself. But when Jesus so radically saved you, not only do you have the, you know, you don't have the identity of, well, I'm broken all the time. Now you're mended. Now you've got a story to tell for the sake of the gospel because the gospel has changed you. And the gospel is the change agent. The gospel is the change agent that caused the early church and this church to be a movement, not an institution. Not rigid, but to growing, expanding, challenging one another. That we would encourage one another. That we would warn one another. That we'd share wisdom with one another. And that we would absolutely need to equip one another for the sake of the gospel. Then also, to send them on their way, this is also an implication of this, is giving financially. He's saying, you know what? You would do well to send them on their way. Give them some money. Forward the gospel. I don't know where you are as far as as your giving record, and I'm not privy to this. I don't even want to know this. But I want to encourage you, wherever you are financially, if the gospel has changed you, put a little bit more of what God has given you back into the work of the gospel of the local church. Put it back into His hands. This is one of the implications. He says, send them, on their, send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. Not worthy of you. Not worthy of the church. Worthy of what? God. Man, this is like my favorite part of this passage. Verse 7. He says, it was for the sake of the name. It was for the sake of the name. Everybody say the name. It was, a, it was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. He says, you know what? We don't want help from outsiders. If you're not a follower of Christ this morning, I don't want you to give... If you're not walking with Christ, I don't want you to give a dime to the church. I don't. Because here's the thing. I believe that as Christ saves people, He saves not only your life, but He also saves your marriage. He'll save your family. He'll save your friendships. He'll save even your buddies if you impart some wisdom to Him. And He'll also save your checkbook if you let Him. And he says, receiving no help from the pagans. He says it was, it was for the sake of the name that they went out. It wasn't for the sake of the name. It was capital N. It wasn't for the sake of Dublin Bible Church. It wasn't for the sake of a Bible study. It wasn't for the sake of a pastor. It wasn't for the sake of, of a people. It was for the sake of the name that John says. And he's, he's telling Gaius, he says, it was for the sake of the name that they went out. That this movement of the church went out. It was for the sake of the name. And he says, we ought therefore to show hospitality to such men so that they may work together for the truth. Because fellowship is a a partnership in the work of the gospel. That we have fellowship. It isn't isn't just for us. It's a common relationship. It's a relationship that's built on, on real conversation, on spiritual conversations and communication with one another. But even more compelling than that is the God who saved you wants to save other people through you so that now we have fellowship as we're equipping one another for the work of the gospel. 
And it's a partnership that we're all partners in this thing for the sake of the name that we would go out and share Jesus in our workplace, in our families. And literally, in in the beginning of verse 8, it says, we ought. And that is implying a, a moral obligation. So now, now their belief has affected their morality. And he says, you know what? If we have this moral obligation, it's like Christ has saved me from the inside out. I am morally obligated. I feel I'm compelled in my heart and my soul to do something to, for other people because Christ has so radically done amazing things for me. And at the end it says, so that we may work together for the truth. So that we may work together for the truth. So that we may work together for the truth. But if I'm honest, there, there are things... There are things in your life that hinder you from doing that. And I would say that they're, they're actually enemies of fellowship. Enemies of fellowship. Here's another list. I told you you're going to have a lot today. I mentioned that I lived in the Midwest. One of the things that, about living in the Midwest is, especially this time of year, it was very gloomy. Um, sun doesn't shine a whole lot. It's kind of gloomy, kind of miserable. But I remember that as... Because of where we live, central Illinois, there were a bunch of farms. And if you would go outside of town, after they would cut the corn down, this time of year it would be desolate. And you could look out, you could look out a long distance, and the thing that you would see in the distance are silos, is where they would store up grain. And there may be a silo here as you're driving down the road. I, I mean, I, I have a mental image of driving down uh, Route 29 and going the, the road that we would travel all the time that I had to travel for work. And I could look to the left and I would see a silo. I could look a little farther to the left and I'd see another silo. And I'd see another silo on the other side. And all of these silos. And one of the enemies that we have of fellowship is this idea of silo living. Because a silo represents there's a family who lives over here and they live by themselves. And there's a family that lives over here and they're by themselves. And there's a family that lives way off on the other side of that hill. I can't even see the base of the silo, but all I can see is the top. And so many times what infiltrates our church is we have silo living. Where we come in and we just have just the silo. It's just us. And there's, there's, we're here and we have this distance between everybody else. And coincidentally, because you have distance with them, now they have distance from you. That's an enemy to fellowship. You're being robbed and probably don't even know it. This idea of silo living. Like, you know what? I'm storing up just like the silo stored up grain. It's like I'm storing up everything I need right here. I don't need my neighbor. I don't need my neighbor. I don't need to go borrow sugar. I don't need anything. I've got everything I need right here in the silo. And anytime I want to go back to my silo, I can because it's mine. And they can look off to the distance and they can see the other silos. And that's an enemy to fellowship. Because many of us store up things in our life and we don't share it with anyone else. We store up all this spiritual intellect and all this, this Bible knowledge and we do all these things and we store it up and store it up and store it up. And I have to tell you what's dangerous about that is there was this group in the New Testament specifically called the Pharisees and they, they stored up all this information. They weren't being changed by the Bible information. And if you read the Gospels, they were the people, some of the people responsible for crucifying Jesus. It's because they had all of this information. They absorbed all this stuff, but they didn't do anything with it. They had stored up all the grain in their silo. And they didn't want to have fellowship with anyone else. Whoa, no, 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 no. You keep your distance from me. You keep your distance from me. I'm untouchable. Which is another enemy to fellowship, is the idea of being untouchable. See, here's the thing. There's the, the untouchable type of people. People who come to church, they have all the answers. They're unreachable, they're untouchable. It's an enemy to fellowship when we come and, and we kind of have that persona because the challenge is, I'm not saying that you shouldn't try and, you shouldn't try and acquire more knowledge through the Bible. I'm not saying that whatsoever. I think you should. I, I want you to, to get in the Word every single day. Every single day. I want you to. I want you, I want you to, to crave information. From, from the Word of God. But that information is not, to re, not so that you would receive some you know, scholarly hierarchy over someone else. 
It's so that you would know more about how to live out the gospel in your life. We talked about that last week. But it's the untouchables. It's saying, you know what? I, yeah, you're, whew, you're so new to this thing, I don't even have time to talk to you. Uh, I got this stuff figured out. You are like, I'm like major leagues, you're single A. Seriously. You look up to me. That's, that's an enemy to fellowship, but there are more enemies. Shallow relationships, talking about what? The weather, sports, politics. That's an enemy to fellowship. I'm not saying that we shouldn't, have, we shouldn't just have generalized conversations and we shouldn't have fun together. We need to. We should. But if it stops with shallow relationships, that is a big front against the gospel being able to move in your life. Shallow relationships are an enemy to fellowship. Another one is church masks. Anyone have a mask on this morning? Like you come to church and you say, you know what? And you know what? I, I, to be honest with you, when I had mentioned that people were broken, I could literally look out and see your faces and I could see your faces respond to that, to that phrase. And I know that you're broken. And it's okay to be broken. It's okay. As long as you allow Christ to mend you and heal you by the grace of God to challenge you, just as the same God who saved you is keeping you and he wants you to become more like him. But when we come to church and we have these church masks on, that we have to think that we, that we try and be someone else that we're not, that we're not real, that all that is is an enemy to fellowship, that you're saying, you know what? I know, I know that I'm broken, but if somebody comes in with the church mask like they've got it all together, I can't have fellowship with that person because they are also untouchable and they're unreachable and wow, I'm so not where they are and I wow, I look up to them and wow, I'm just so petty compared to them. But the reality is they have a mask on because they're broken just like you and just like me. Another one is, and the longer you're in church, the more this mentality kicks in and I almost don't even want to say this, but the longer that you're in church, the more this kicks in. It's the you owe me mentality. It's the you owe me mentality. Saying, you know what? I've been here for whatever amount of years. I paid my dues. And I, I just want you to know, if you have come to Dublin Baba Church over the last year, you are the people that this church has been praying about for years. For years. We've been praying about people like you coming in and just... And seeking God and, and finding God because we know that if you seek Him, you'll find Him and then that you've chosen to come and worship with, with us and we have, we have prayed about you for years. But the stream that kind of winds in and out of, of churches sometimes is the you owe me mentality. Like I, I'm up here because I've been here longer and it's almost this built-in hierarchy that, wow, you owe me something because you're here now and because... I'm here intellectually, spiritually, and in, you know, timeline. I've been here longer, and you're so down here. That's an enemy to fellowship. I hope that hasn't seeped into your life. Then there's something that's, that's not necessarily all that prevalent, but personal agendas. I would say that this, I'll say it because it happens in churches, not that I think that this is even happening in this church, but people have personal agendas. Saying, you know what, I'm going to come in because I have some, per- some, some personal the- theological things that I kind of want to push on everybody else. So I just want to kind of work my way into the church to kind of spoil the batch. But it happens. That's an enemy to fellowship. That's an enemy to fellowship. That's the last of that list. Everybody say amen. But it's not all bad. This is the last list. Those were the enemies to fellowship. And I tried to make this as practical as I possibly could make it on this list. And the reason why that I have put it in such simplistic terms is because I want you to do something with this list. Other than write it in your bulletin and then hide it in your Bible and then find it again next week and be like, he said to read that thing this week. I want you to do something else other than that. The list is very simple. Very applicable, very reachable. Look at it. If you want to have fellowship with people, don't just talk about it. Seek it out. I would say with the vertical, the vertical level of fellowship, 
Some of us in here, we're broken. We don't, we don't have fellowship with God vertically. We may be saved, but we're not, we're not accomplishing everything that God wants us to, and He's not accomplishing everything through us, and we've broken fellowship with God. If you want to, come back. He's a merciful God. Come back to God. But you have to seek it out for yourself. I have to tell you, He's already on the other side. All you have to do is meet Him there. But it's the same thing with people. We have these things in this church called small groups, community groups, whatever you want to call it, groups. We, we believe that as a church, that the best way to interact with other people is not in rows. It's not in rows. It's in circles. It's around, it's around coffee tables, if you still have one of those things. It's around sofas. It's around lazy boys. Just don't sit in mine. It's all of these things. You know? Unspoken rule at our small group. You just don't sit in the green chair. No, I'm just kidding. I'll let them. They just got to pay me. Comfort has a cost. Um, but seek it out. And we, that's the reason why we do small groups. Is because we are trying to, as a church, we want you to do a couple different things. We want you to get into a small group because that's where real spiritual growth is going to happen. That's where somebody is going to be able to challenge you in this, in this area of fellowship. Somebody's going to be able to equip you that you're going to be walking so closely to somebody. They're not just going to be a friend and help you out of the pit, but they're going to be a, a true friend in the, in the biblical sense and somebody you have true fellowship with and says, you know what, I, I want to I help you out of the pit. And I want to do that, but also I want to warn you of how you got into the pit. And I want to encourage you to take steps to avoid the pit. You can't do that in rows. That happens in circles in homes. You have to seek it out. If you're interested in that, this is, this is my plea for this. If this is something that you know, and maybe the Lord's speaking to you about right now. Maybe He's speaking to you about lunch. We'll get there shortly, okay? Bear with me for a few more minutes. But if the Lord is speaking to you about this, I, I want you to, to take a step. This is a necessary step. I, I'm not going to coddle you. I'm not going to hold you. I'm not going to do any of those things. This is a step you have to make. If you want to take a step toward deeper fellowship within this church, I want you to meet me in the foyer, or excuse me, not me in the foyer. I want you to meet the people who are the hospitality team. That would be Tom and Ann. Here you go, Tom and Ann. You didn't know this, and I'm putting you to work again. That you're going to go back in the foyer at the end of this service, and I want you, and there are small group interest inventory forms. If you want to know more about small groups or want to be involved in a small group, this is your opportunity. This is it. But you have to seek it out yourself. That's the first on the list. You have to ask for it. You have to ask for it. Not just seek it out, but you have to ask for it. Ask for fellowship. To say, hey, what are you doing? Hey, let's do this group together. Hey, let's do a group. Let's go meet at Blackbird. They have actually extended hours now, which better suits this, right? Everybody, coffee drinkers of Blackbird, everybody say amen. That's awesome. I'm excited about that. I wasn't going to go to Starbucks and Kroger. I got issues with that. But you have to ask for it. You do. You have to ask for it. You have to ask for it. You have to get involved in people's lives and you have to say, okay, I want to open my home up. I want to open my life up to you. You have to ask for it. You can't just want it. You have to seek it out. You have to ask for it. You have to share your life with others when it comes. Share your life with others. No silos, right? No storing up grain for ourselves. We have to forgive often. It's really, it's one of the big principles of our faith is because we're broken people. Forgiveness is something that has to be on the echo of our minds and our hearts and our lips at all times. We need to celebrate much. Celebrate the work of God in each other's lives. That's the reason why we do small groups. It's not so that we can, that we can do anything or make it some, some gushy environment where everybody sits around and balls on their couch. I mean, how fun would that be for guys? Like, everybody sitting to have a cry fest. Like, here, take it. Here, this puffs plus. It's going to be good for your eyes and your nose. You know, I mean, Seriously. It isn't a matter of that. It's a matter of being real with one another, being transparent with one another. Seek it, ask for it, share with others, forgive often and celebrate much. Celebrate much. What are you going to do? What are you going to do this morning? Are you going to keep doing the same thing you're doing and wonder why you're lonely at night? Wonder why you don't have deeper fellowship? Or are you just going to just say, you know what? I got my silo here, and I'm just storing grain because I'm going to need it sometime later. I'm just storing grain because fellowship 
is, is this communion of believers because they've been so radically changed by the gospel. And that should challenge us to change the way that we talk, a little bit less about the weather, a little bit less about sports, and a little bit more about what God is doing in and through us. Let's pray. Father, you are awesome. You're an awesome God. You're a holy God. And you are a worthy God. Father, I thank you for just the grace that you extended to me as we were singing earlier just about the love of God. Just the love of God. is so powerful. And it's because you have loved us in such a way that now that we, we can actually know what love is. Because you're the author of love. You wrote the script. Father, I pray that we would deepen our walk and fellowship with you. And that we would deepen our walk and fellowship with other people. You are an incredible God. And you're worthy of more than our words can say. And it's by, by your grace can someone say that they have been rescued and that they've been healed and that they're not broken anymore. And we're your own. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the work that you're doing through us and in us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.